0: spread out tonight, I want us to all stand together, and we're going to pray, and we're coming to the end of just prophecies yet fulfilled. but um, we should wrap up well, we do wrap up Daniel, I believe, tonight, because Daniel's going to go into the last days, the last of the last days, and then I'm going to deal with Ezekiel's war next time. And how many of you have been praying with me about where to go from there, maybe to Genesis? Genesis? You know why? Because that's the, those chapters, Genesis 1 through 11, are the most attacked chapters, really, in the whole Word of God, because it deals with the creation. Uh, first verse in Genesis blows evolution right out of the water. In the beginning, God, not, well, anyway. <laughs> so we're going we're to pray tonight, and uh, Daniel's deep. How many of you can say amen to that? Amen. Daniel is deep. But we're going we're gonna to see some neat stuff tonight that has to do with you and me and what's about to take place in this world. Father, we just thank you for your blessing in Jesus' name on the word of God. And we pray, be very present with us, Lord. And we are very aware, Lord, that the great teacher of the church is the Holy Spirit. You said he would teach us all things. And we have an anointing that you've given to us that abides within us that teaches us the spirit of God. And so Lord, we pray that he tonight opens our eyes, opens our understanding so that we can walk out of here with our faith built in the good things of God in the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Amen. Turn your neighbor and tell him, good to see you in the house of God tonight. Now, you know, when you go through Daniel, you gotta deal with history. How many of you didn't much care for history in school? Tell the truth. All right. we got to deal with some history in Daniel because Daniel prophesied of so much history. Of course, it wasn't history when he prophesied it, but it is now. Uh, And it's it's an amazing thing to see, and that's why we've got to go through it. But uh, um, let's just back up a little bit. Last time we saw that Daniel went on a 21-day fast. And at the end of that 21-day fast, there was an incredible breakthrough. The appearance of the archangel Gabriel, who came to bring him incredible predictions of future events, reaching all the way down to the last days, our time. The last of the last days, the final days of time, as we have known it. Now, a little bit of refresher here. You'll remember that... um, well, let me just back up even further. In chapter 11, we, we did chapter 10 last time, but in chapter 11, Gabriel imparts to Daniel predictions of the future goings on of a guy we've already talked about, Antiochus Epiphanes. You just need to thank God that's not your name. All right. Antiochus Epiphanes. And remember, I told you a few weeks ago that he's a type of Antichrist. He's a type. Now, church, in the Bible, particularly Old Testament, there are what we call types and shadows. And a type and a shadow is something that that took place, that, that, that God did, that was really like a sign pointing down the tunnel of time to the arrival of Jesus, all right? All the festivals, all the feasts, all the sacrifices, when those lambs were sacrificed routinely, you know the Day of Atonement, Year of Jubilee, all these things. When you look at them, they they spoke of, predicted, uh, looked down time to the day that the ultimate fulfillment would come, and that fulfillment is Jesus Christ. Even the Sabbath was was uh, a type and a shadow. That's why of the Ten Commandments. Nine were carried over in the New Testament, but one wasn't. Which one wasn't? The Sabbath. Why? Because Jesus is our Sabbath, right? So he's our rest. And when we got right with God, the war between us and God was ended. We experienced the peace of God when we made peace with God. When you make peace with God through Christ, you experience the peace of God. But until then, we're at war with God when we're lost. Amen? So types and shadows were things that were, that, that were like something that Jesus would do or represent or the person of Christ. And so Antichus Epiphanes is a type and shadow in a negative way. He is really a lot like the Antichrist that is coming. All right. So in that way, he's a type and a shadow. He, he's, we look at him, and we're going to see him a, a lot tonight. Uh, we're going to see a personality that is very similar to what is described in the New Testament to describe the coming Antichrist. So let's look at Antiochus. Everybody say Antiochus. Epiphanes. All right. Now you'll remember, if you've got a really good memory... That Antiochus was a Syrian Greek tyrant who launched a furious attack against the people of Israel. And it all happened some 300 years after Daniel predicted it. Three centuries after Daniel predicted it, Antiochus fulfilled it. That's why I want us to walk away from this series on Wednesday nights uh, just blown away by the accuracy of Bible prophecy. This Bible, your Bible, can be thoroughly trusted. <clears throat> Amen? Uh, you know, there are not parts of it, not most of it, all of it is inspired by God in the original manuscripts. Now, there's some translations better than others, but you still get the basic, you get the Word of God. All right? So, I want us to gain confidence in the Word. I want you to know that Bible you hold in your hand is unlike any other book in the world. Uh, It's the only book in the world that's not from the world. It came from God. It says the Spirit of God, God moved on holy men of old who were moved on by the Holy Spirit and they wrote what they were moved to write. Okay? So we have God's Word to us. It's the most precious thing you own. It's more precious than your Corvette. It's more precious than your morning Starbucks. It's more precious than your house. It's more precious than the the finest clothes you own. Listen, it's more precious than your retirement fund. The word of God is the most precious thing you own. Yes, it is. So, we're gonna see that Antiochus Epiphany's personality is very much like the lawless one Paul describes. Now let's look at what Daniel writes of him. In verse 36 of Daniel 11, I'm scooting through most of the verses in Daniel 11 because most of it uh, leading down to 36 just has to do with the goings-on of Antiochus Epiphanes. And it's a lot of very difficult history, and it really doesn't matter with us wanting to look at things yet to come. So let's look at what verse 36 begins with. Then the king Antiochus, that's who it's talking about, shall do according to his own will, He shall exalt and magnify himself above every God. He shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods. Notice capital G, the God, real God, of God's little g. There's only one real God, living God. That's the capital G God. That's the God of the Bible, amen? Now, he will speak blasphemies against the God of gods, and he shall prosper until the wrath has been accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. So when Antiochus Epiphanes was wreaking havoc on Israel, the Bible tells us right here that this was an outpouring of God's wrath. All right? God was bringing judgment, which he has done all throughout Old Testament history and New Testament history. God poured out judgment. We love to talk about a God of love, he is a God of love. But guess what? He's also a God of holiness. And when you, a nation or a person can sin, 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 but finally you cross a line. And only God knows where that line is. And when that line is crossed, God, if you're his child, he sends chastening. If you're the world, he sends judgment. So look what he says that this Antiochus Epiphanes will prosper until the wrath has been accomplished, till God is done. For what has been determined by God shall be done. One person you will always lose a battle against, and that's God. Amen? So just look at how it described him. Antiochus, we know for a fact, did exalt himself above God. He did indeed. He literally took for himself the name Epiphanes, which means God manifest. He said, I, think, I just think that I'll, I want my name to be the very manifestation of God. How many of you think that he had an ego issue? I'm, I'm the very manifestation of God, right? He defiled the Holy of Holies of the second temple by placing a pig in it. He took a pig into the Holy of Holies a forbidden creature, into the Holy of Holies and sacrificed it in the Holy of Holies and committed what's called the abomination of desolation. This guy was bad news. He spoke blasphemies against the God of the Jews openly, publicly. Gabriel continues telling Daniel... Let me tell you more about this guy. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. Name himself Epiphanes. So, look, 300 years before this guy appeared, here's Daniel reading his mail. This remark about the desire of women. They used to really confuse me. What the world does that mean? He won't regard the God of his fathers. Well, I get that, but the desire of women. So there was a while I wondered, is he homosexual? You got to wonder that. He's not going to uh, re- regard the desire of women, but did a little digging. And I think it's more likely referring to the gods of the women of that day that they loved and worshiped. They worshiped the women of Antiochus' day Worship the sun and the moon, the constellations, and other false deities. Antiochus himself had chosen to worship the mythical gods of Jupiter and Mars. Jupiter is what the Romans called him, but Zeus is what the Greeks called him. And he's just a creation of, of originally, of Greek mythology, and Zeus to the Greeks, and and, uh, um, Jupiter to the Romans, it was just considered the greatest of all gods. There was a whole bunch of gods. It was polytheistic. If you look at Greek mythology, it's incredibly polytheistic. There's tons of gods, but the chief one was Zeus to the Greeks, and Jupiter to the Romans. All the Romans did was they took Greek gods and renamed them, and they worshiped them. And did you know that if you didn't worship them, This is one of the things that got the disciples and and the committed Christians martyred in the first century is they said, no, 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 these aren't gods. These aren't real gods. There's only one true God and it's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one person worthy of worship and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And, And they would be taken to the altars of these foreign gods and say, worship them or die. And there were Christians that had to say, I'll die before I'll worship Jupiter or Zeus or any of the other gods you've come up with because they're phony baloney. They're not real. And I'm not gonna worship them. Jupiter was regarded as the greatest deity, greater than the sun, moon, and other planets that the women of that time worshipped. Homer, who wrote the famous Iliad and Odyssey, makes Zeus say this in his writings. That all the other gods together could not pull him down. But he could pull them along with the earth. And history tells us that Antiochus Epiphanes exported the worship of Jupiter to various cultures that he conquered. And that's why he hated the Jews. Because they worshipped Jehovah and he worshipped Jupiter. So he wanted to exterminate them. That's why he attacked the temple, defiled it and viciously persecuted the Jewish people because Jupiter's the guy, not your guy, Jehovah. Isn't it amazing how important it is what you worship, who you worship? Because watch this, everybody. You will become what you worship. You will become like what you worship. No getting around it. What do you want to be like? Worship that. Verse 38 says, but in their place, he, he's, Gabriel's going further now about Antiochus, but in their place, he, Antiochus, will honor a god of fortresses. Now that's Mars. He worshiped Jupiter and Mars because Mars was the god of war. And he worshiped Mars. So you will become like what you worship. He shall honor Jupiter and Mars with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. Notice it says he'll honor a God of fortresses means he will love war. And Antiochus Epiphanes did nothing but war. And Daniel said, the one coming is going to love war. He's going to honor the God of fortresses, the the God of war, conquering, destroying, battling, killing, achieving new land, new countries, new cities, new peoples. Verse 39, thus he shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign god. And he did, Jupiter, which he shall acknowledge, he did, and advance its glory, he did just that. And he shall cause them to rule over many, and he'll divide the land for gain. So Antiochus, a type of antichrist, let's list it, was arrogant, blasphemous, called himself God attacked the Jewish people and desecrated the Holy of Holies in the temple of God with an abomination of desolation. Everybody say, bad dude. He was wicked. Now, compare this, just for the fun of it, with what Paul predicts about the Antichrist and you'll see why I say Antiochus was a type and shadow of the one coming Here's what Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1-4, and this is prophecy yet to be fulfilled. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. There was a scuttlebutt going around in the early church that False teachers were spreading and it was that Jesus had already come and it was shaking people up. Guess why? Because they're still there. All right? So, verse three, Paul says, let no one deceive you by any means for that day, the return of Christ, will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, That's the Antichrist. What is the falling away? It's the apostasy of the last days. I was listening today to David Jeremiah. And he was talking about um, the last days. And he was talking about the great falling away. It was just a, a title. He called it the great falling away. And he read a couple of stories of... Well-known pastors, Christian leaders, who had done great things, written books. Um, one that he talked about had written a book when he was 22 years old, and it hit every bestseller list in America and went around the world. And he became very well-known for counseling, for advice, and he served as a pastor for 20 years. But he came out and said, one, I'm divorcing my wife. Two, he said, and this is the biggie for me, two, I no longer consider myself a Christian. And he said, I don't believe it anymore. And he walked. And David Jeremiah said these words. He said, I've gotten to where I don't even like going to Christian news sites anymore. Because every time I go to one, I read of yet another person renouncing the faith. We've seen well-known Christian songwriters renounce the faith. Pastors renounce the faith. Now, that's just the leaders. If, if that's happening in the top, well-known, highest uh, visibility kind of leaders, then what's happening in the church? I submit to you that there's people all in church all over America uh, that aren't even saved. And that's part of the the pulpit's fault. Because we haven't told the truth about the need to repent of your sin. We've we've done this easy believism thing. Yeah, just come to the altar, fill out a card, you're saved. No, you're not. If you don't repent of your sin and ask Christ to forgive you and come into your heart, and it's genuine from your heart, you're not saved. You're not saved. But Paul predicted that in the last of the last days, there would be a great falling away, an apostasy. Now we can jump over to Timothy where Paul uh, says again. He says, in the last days, perilous times will come. Many will depart from the faith. Did he not say it? Yes, he did. 1 Timothy 4, 1. 2 Timothy 3. Read them. He said, many will depart from the faith. Why? Giving heed to seducing spirits... And doctrines, and all doctrine means is teaching. Teachings of devils. So what is going to cause a lot of people to walk away from the faith once delivered to the saints, which is what Jude called it? The faith. There's only one faith, the faith. The faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only real faith there is, everybody. The faith. All right? But, but what causes them to go? Well, they give heed to spirits that seduce And doctrines or teachings of devils. Some people might be real shocked to to, uh, realize that the devil teaches. He's just not a funny looking guy running around with a tail and a pitchfork and in a red suit. Oh, no, no. He teaches. He knows the word. We know he knows the word because he quoted the word to Jesus in the wilderness. Oh, he knows the word, and he knows how to twist it. He knows the word better than most Christians. That's why he can run a number on so many people. So he knows the word, and so what is he doing in the last days? He's seducing believers away from the faith. Once delivered to the saints, getting into all kind of new age gobbledygook, crazy loony stuff all into really New Age practices. Numerology, heavy into Bible numerology, and well, and, you gotta be so careful with that. Yeah, some numbers matter in the Bible, but not like some make it. Bible numerology, um, oh my, I could go into so many things. And you gotta watch that, everybody. How do you not be deceived? You know that Bible. You know that Bible better than you know the back of your hand. You know that Bible. That's why we have Wednesday nights where I'm going through books. I want the church, the people that are submitted to the leadership here to know their Bible. I want you to know your Bible. So Paul says there's going to be a falling away. And when that falling away has happened, this great apostasy, then the man of sin will be revealed. And that's what he calls the Antichrist. John's the only one that calls him the antichrist but it's the same guy Uh, son of perdition and what does he do in verse 4 he opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God did Antiochus not do that or what is worshipped did Antiochus not do that so that he sits as God in the temple of God did Antiochus not do that yes he did showing himself that he is God exactly what Epiphanes did so he's a type in a shadow. Chapter 12 picks uh, right up where 11 left off. And this is the last chapter in Daniel. He'll close out Daniel's book with a prophecy of the end times. Let's look at verse 1. At that time, the time of Antiochus' terrible persecution, Michael, the archangel who stands guard over your nation, will arise. Then there will be a time of trouble greater than any since nations first came into existence. Wow. At the time of Antiochus' persecutions against the people of God. He's killing the Jewish people. He's desecrating their temple. He is forbidding them to practice their religion per Moses' instructions. He's forbidding them. He shuts down the Jewish system of worship. That's how severe it was. And so Jeremiah prophesied of of this coming day of terrible trouble that Antiochus would bring on the Jewish people. He writes, how awful that day will be. No other will be like it. It'll be a time of trouble for Jacob, but he will be saved out of it. He'll be saved out of it. But we know that God placed a limit on how far Antiochus could go. He, he said, Antiochus, you can go this far. I'm going to let you go this far, but then I'm going to put a limit on it. I'm controlling the temperature of this thing and I'm going to put a limit on it. And when I say you've gone far enough, I'm going to release Michael to restrain you. And so Michael the archangel was dispatched. He was dispatched to stop the severity of this persecution. Verse uh, 1 The second half. But at that time, when Michael stops it, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Now, what does that mean? We know that God's people referred to as those written in the book. God's people, the Jewish people, were rescued. Remember this? When Judas Maccabeus, how many of you heard of the Maccabeus Revolt? Raise your hand if you've heard of the Maccabeus Revolt. Oh, the rest of you, okay. Then let me tell you, Judas Maccabeus was a a Jewish man uh, who was extremely offended by what Antiochus had done to the temple. So he got together his own family in a small army and they attacked the army of Antiochus. Drove them out of the temple, drove them out of town. It's called the Maccabean Revolt. And Judas Maccabeus and his family and his army restored Jewish worship to the temple and gave the Jews back their religion. It's called the Maccabeus Revolt. And Judas Maccabeus is who God used, along with Michael the archangel, to restrain Antiochus from taking another step forward. Can I tell you folks something tonight? Whatever trial you're going through, it's not going to go any further than God lets it. That's, that's the message here. God's got his hand on the dial and God will not let it get any hotter than he has decided to let it go and he will stop it. He will stop it. Just like he stops the waves of the sea. They can't go any further. They can't cover the earth because God gave borders and God gives borders to every trial we go through even when it looks like, wow, I can't handle another minute of this, God has his hand on the dial. Can you say that with me? God has his hand on the dial of my trial. Do you believe that? Give the Lord a hand of praise tonight. So Antiochus Epiphanes went off into another land eventually died. And some say that he died crazy. I believe he probably did die crazy. Now the next two verses reveal the return of Christ and the future resurrection of the dead. Now we're getting into prophecy that hasn't happened yet. Look what he says in verse two. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried. He's talking about from Antiochus's terrible persecution. What does he say will happen to them? They will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. This is Old Testament, folks. This is centuries before Christ arrived. So the resurrection to everlasting life is talking about the return of Christ and the rapture. How many of you believe Jesus is coming back? If you ever walk into a church and they say we're not so sure about that anymore, you need to look for the nearest exit sign and don't walk, run. Run. Because Jesus is coming back, okay? And all the way back in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, he says there's going to be a resurrection. Some that are are dead and buried are going to rise up. They're coming out of the grave. Now, let's look at what Paul said. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15, you know this, but it always helps to read it again. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain, who are walking around on earth... Until the coming of the Lord will by no means go up, precede those who are asleep or who have died in faith before the return of Christ. For the Lord himself will, everybody say will, Will. descend from heaven. Will a what everyone? Shout Shout it for me, shout with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. So you're going to have Jesus shouting, an archangel shouting something and a trumpet blowing. And the dead in Christ, those that have gone to sleep is the way Paul describes it. When a saint dies, he said, no, 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 no. I don't want to call it death because they're just asleep. They're coming back out. Now he's not teaching soul sleep and he's not teaching purgatory. There's no purgatory. That's a creation of the Catholic church in medieval times. No such teaching in the Bible. There's no soul sleep. You don't die and go to sleep until the coming of the Lord. No. He's just saying, when the saints die, I'd rather call it sleep. Okay? He says, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always, how long? Come on, always be with who? The Lord. And you're not ever gonna get bored with the Lord. It's not gonna happen, all right? Now, then he says in verse 18, comfort one another with these words. Be comforted by these words, okay? Now, again, he talks about it, 1 Corinthians 15:51. This coming up out of the grave, um, Let's read it. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. There's that word again. But we shall all be what, everybody? Are y'all reading with me? It's not up there. Why is it not up there? I didn't know that it wasn't up there. (sighs) All right. It says changed. Can we say changed together? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, Now, what he's wanting us to know is how fast that's going to happen. You're not going to be going along and start floating gradually up, waving as you go. (laughs) Hey, hey, hey. Uh, Uh, No, in a moment. Atomos is the Greek word. Adam. We, We get, there it is. There we go. In a moment. In the twinkle of an eye. Moment means a a moment of time so fast you can't split it. It's the atom. We get atom from it. So fast you can't split it. That's why he compares it to the twinkle of an eye. A camera flash. Not even that. Bink. You're looking at him. Are you with me? This is the language. Bink. You're there. All right. They've come out of the grave all over the world. And you've gone up after them, bink. I should have called this message, bink. All right, bink, that fast. You'll be here and then boop, there. In the air. And I take it to be a family reunion because it says we go up with them. Who's the them? Those that have come out of the grave. For the trumpet will sound, there's that trumpet again, and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall all be, here's the second time it's mentioned, changed. Not only will Christians be resurrected, but Old Testament saints that died in faith will also be resurrected. The word "changed" is from a Greek word meaning to cause one thing to cease and another to take its place to exchange one thing for another. You're gonna put off this old body with the weight issues and the aches and the pains and uh, you know everything that happens with these old, fallen, corrupt bodies of ours that age each and every day. And if you think you're not aging each and every day, take a picture of yourself tonight and then take another one six months from now and tell me you look exactly the same. You don't because you're aging but the new body won't. So we're gonna gonna cause one thing to cease, this old corrupt body, and another new body, a glorified body, like the resurrected body of Jesus, will take its place. Mortality will put on immortality. Weakness will put on strength. Sickness will put on health. Pain will put on no pain. Pain. Can I go even further and say that excess weight that has happened around your belt and you wonder where it came from? Gone? God's going to give you a body that a spa could never give you. Work out for 100 years. You're never going to have the body he's going to give you. All right? It's true. I'm just telling you. But what does the second half of the verse mean when he says, some to shame and everlasting disgrace? Who's that talking about? Well, that's gonna happen at the great white throne judgment that takes place after the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. After the great tribulation, everybody, Jesus will come back. He will stop the war of Armageddon. He will cast the Antichrist, the false prophet, into the lake of fire. The millennial reign of Christ, a thousand years, will commence. You will beat your swords into plowshares. There will be war no more. The lion will lay down with the lamb. There will be no more predatory activity. There will be no more hostility between species. There will be no more mistrust animal to man. All The whole created order will be healed from what the fall did. Okay? And at the end of that thousand years, something awesome is going to happen. And I'm going to read to you. And I think what I'm about to read to you is the scariest part of the whole Bible. Every time I read it, it shakes me a little bit. I quiver a little bit. I tremble a little bit. Do you tremble at the word of God? Listen to what's going to happen. And here's where he's going to discuss those that are going to be resurrected to shame and everlasting disgrace. Here it is. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Who's seated on it? Who is seated on it? Jesus is. Christ is the judge at the great white throne. Here it is. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence. And there was no place for them. Because he's not the lamb of God now. He's the lion of Judah, the judge of all men. And look what happens, verse 12. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. How can somebody dead stand? Because their souls have been called up before the throne. They have been resurrected. They have been resurrected like the righteous are. But not to glory, but to shame and everlasting disgrace. Let's read on. And here's the dead now, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. What were they judged for? What they had done. So there's a record of everything men and women do. And either it is covered in the blood of the lamb, or you answer for every one of them. And from what I'm reading here, it says to me that somehow it's replayed in front of you. You see, you know what you're about to answer for. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So when people live their lives in sin and die in sin, they have no idea There's books in heaven recording everything. Isn't that what you just read? I read it. Everything is recorded. Does that give you the fear of God? And then look at verse 13. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. So the sea and death and Hades are like containment prisons for the souls of those who died lost. And when the great white throne judgment comes, they will spew up the souls of all those lost people before God on the throne. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now what's the second death? It refers to those who already died once. They died in their sins. They died once. The body dies. That's the first death. But the second death is what you experience when you face Christ on the great white throne for everything you did and you're removed from the presence of God forever. And it's called a second death. So there's one death, but one to come if you die in your sins. I told you this was spooky. All the more reason. Jesus, forgive me. I come to you, and I allow the blood of the Lamb shed on the cross for me to cover my sins, because no other currency will remove your sins or pay the debt that you cannot pay but the currency of the blood. We recall that Daniel talked about being rescued if you're in the book. And John reiterates, speaking of the necessity of being in the book of life. Now next, Daniel brings a wonderful promise. It's getting good and we're coming down to the close. Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky. And those who lead many to righteousness, soul winners, will shine like the stars forever. How many of you would like to shine? Forever. Right? Right? Who are the wise he's talking about? Those who are wise unto salvation through faith in Christ. That's who the wise are. And that are truly godly and lead other people to Christ. They will shine as the brightness of the firmament. You know how bright that is? Tonight when you go home, look up at the star. Just pick the biggest star, the North Star, and look at it. That's really bright, all right? You're going to shine bright like that. If you're covered in the blood of the Lamb and you live for the Lord and your life is spent on him, You're going to shine like that forever. Jesus said the same thing. Matthew 13, 40. Let me read it to you. We're here to study the Bible. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 40, as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the age. It's talking about the wicked. The son of man will send out his angels. They will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will be weeded out. They I take that to be angels. We'll throw them into the blazing furnace. I didn't say that. Jesus did. Where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So Daniel said, you're going to shine bright. Jesus said, you're going to shine like the sun. Next, the angel Gabriel is winding up his message to Daniel that began in verse 1 of chapter 11, and he's continued all the way through chapter 12. But you, Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret. Seal up the book until the time of the end, when many will rush here and there and knowledge will increase. First, Daniel is told that uh, the book in which this revelation is written must be kept in a safe and sure place, and the need of it is going to be intensely felt in the time of the end. That is, in the time when the fulfillment makes the meaning of the prophecy clearer and unambiguous. Second, he says, many are going to run to and fro. I used to think that was predicting modern travel. Jets, cars, planes, trains, automobiles. Two of you got that. All right. I thought that's what it was talking about. But I don't think it has anything to do with uh, end time modern travel modes or means of travel. Um, I believe it's actually talking about an increase in running here and there to spread the knowledge found within the book of Daniel in the last days when understanding of its predictions will increase. And we're in that day. We're going to run to and fro. Think of missionaries. Think of evangelists. Think of preachers. Think of all the church work spreading the word. That's what he's talking about running to and fro. When Daniel wrote this prophecy, very few cared about it. But look now at our day. There is such a hunger to understand this book and understand end time prophecy. Just Google Bible prophecy and millions of options will pop up. Now the utterances of Gabriel to Daniel are done. In verse 9, he's commanded, go now, Daniel. For what I have said is kept secret and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, cleansed, refined by these trials. But the wicked will continue in their wickedness and none of them will understand. Only those who are wise will know what it means. Amen. He's told, and I'm closing with this. He's told at the end, in the end times, there's going to be a polarisation taking place between the righteous and the wicked. No riding the fence. No sort of in, sort of out. But there'll be a polarization. The wicked are gonna get way more wicked. The righteous are gonna get way more righteous. It really does remind me of Charles Dickens opening lines in his Tale of Two Cities. And let me read it before we stand. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. How many of you can say we're there? All right. Now watch. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. You see how you described total, complete polarization? How many of you can say, as far as my walk with the Lord and things that God is doing, it's the best of times. But in the world, it's the worst of times. And it's getting darker all the time. Amen? Amen? He said, Daniel, go your way till the end. You're going to rest. At the end of the days, you'll rise again. He told Daniel, at the end of the days, you're rising again to receive the inheritance set aside for you. Let's stand together tonight. Amen. How many of you can say Daniel is deep but good? Amen. Deep but good. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just thank you that Jesus is coming soon. And we're coming out of the grave or we're going up in a blink. Thank you, Lord, that even though the world's getting darker, the true church is getting lighter. Thank you, Lord, that if we serve you, we may go through some real hard times on this earth. But in the inheritance that is coming to us, we're going to shine like a star in heaven. Shine like a star. Help us, Lord, to be wise and win many to righteousness. In the name of Jesus. Let's sing one chorus, brother. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the one who sent me. praise tonight thank you lord thank you lord thank you lord Lord. well how many of you enjoy have enjoyed looking at these prophecies yet to come how many of you have the confidence that if the ones we looked at that are now history they were future but now they're history if they came to pass perfectly what about the ones yet to be fulfilled just like he said Amen? amen amen